This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Dragons skills coach Barry Maddox. He discusses his transition into performance rugby, the basic principles of skill acquisition, as well as developing individual development plans for players at the elite level. This podcast was also recorded over the internet, so it may sound a little different to normal. I hope you enjoy. Barry, first of all, appreciate you doing this. Um, I guess the, the, the more pressing question is, how are you? How's COVID life? Which is a bit odd for everyone. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's getting to the tough stage now. The homeschooling has been pretty demanding, to be fair. Um, definitely changed the way I think about teachers, for sure. <laughs> With a whole class full of kids. So, but uh, yeah, but on the other side of that, it's been really positive insofar as such a basically people like yourself, Mike, and other coaches uh, and other different sports really has been uh, really engaging that way to keep uh, some sanity. And how have you found that in terms of, I know a lot of people doing CBD during this time and um, as, as you mentioned here, you've been reaching out to people. How have you found that? What kind of avenues have you gone down to try and upskill yourself? Um, a lot of um, webinars, so we've been fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, some of the home unions have been doing quite some good webinars, really, you know, the RFU, the, the WIU, Ireland, Ireland Rugby, um, I've been doing some good stuff and just trying to get onto them, and then sort of really been touching base with coaches or contacts that you know, and then they've put you in touch with somebody else, so I've been kind of, I've probably travelled the world via Zoom probably over the last couple of months, you know, from Japan to Australia to New Zealand, um, just touching base with coaches with all different types of experience, really, um, um, not just in rugby, just different different other sports as well, which I think is always good to get a perspective from from other from other sports. And then in terms of people that maybe don't know you or don't know your background, you just want to explain kind of what, what your role is, um, who you're with and kind of how you got there, if you like. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm currently at the Dragons. Um, I have been back uh, coach for the last couple of years. I'm about to move to uh, a skills role there um, with them. I was doing skills beforehand, um, but sort of working then obviously the first team predominantly um with the pro 14 in mind really uh you know week to week preparation of the team um that type of stuff really and then before that um my probably journey started back um in 2000 with the welsh rugby as a development officer uh, so really started a grassroots stuff you know from under eights uh right the way through the pre-academy stuff really um with which was then the Swansea arm before it became professionalism. So uh, obviously professionalism came in, they created the Ospreys at that point, but it was the, the Swansea arm really I looked after. Um, from there, I went to Harbury College, so the educational background there in, in Gloucester. And my responsibility there was pretty much um, setting up the first females academy for the RFUW, it was at the time, before he came under the banner of the RFU. Um, and had a four fantastic years there because obviously then it was 
I looked after what's called the um, the ACE program, the Advanced Apprenticeship in Sport and Excellence, you know, for rugby for the boys and the girls in that period. Um, and then I was fortunate enough, I suppose, to uh, become, you know, the first women's head coach of the SEMS program uh, with the RFU in 2012. And then from that, I uh, went to Bath Rugby where I had um, four great years in fairness, um, one working under... Um, Mike Ford, and then uh, with Todd Blackadder and Tabby Matson, basically, um, and then across to the Dragons for the last going into my fourth year now with the Dragons. So when you were starting off on that journey and you were a development officer and whatnot, did you know that you wanted to go into professional rugby, or was that just kind of a continuation on the path that you were on? No, I think it, um, it's a really good question. I, I was really enjoying the fact that, you know, that, that going to different communities around the Swansea area at that time um, as a development officer, um, working with and trying to establish teams from under eight straight the way through to under 16s at clubs, going into schools. So a real big remit really in, in that and kind of really, really enjoyed that stuff. It probably, what sparked my probably interest to go on a little bit further was I was fortunate enough to coach Wales under 16s at the you know sort of my sixth year in as, as a development officer so I was backs coach and support coach uh, with the Welsh Rugby Union and the 16s team then and that probably sparked my interest then really about going probably more the the performance route rather than the community route um, so you know it was brilliant to work in that community element of the game for sure because it gave me a good grounding and a good understanding of dealing with different people on a daily basis and then of course um, it enabled me then to make that decision on which pathway I kind of took really either to stay in the community game or, or pursue that sort of performance pathway or the performance development pathway really. And were there any skills that you think you learned during that kind of development phase when you're working, obviously, with the younger kids around skill acquisition and the fundamentals and basics of the game that now transfer into your role that you're doing at the moment? Because obviously you mentioned you're a skills coach now, so there's quite a skill element to both, but obviously one's on a developmental pathway and the other's on an elite pathway. I think um, probably early doors in my coaching time, I probably thought, uh, it had to be they had to be considerably different, but the more that I've I've been working in at the, you know in that level as such now, the more there's there's lots more things which are quite connected really. So things like you know the enjoyment, the fun, um, challenges within session, um, getting the kids even even at a young age really to to sort of figure out. Um, you know, problems and, and working through things themselves as well, even at a young age, really, because it's like the kids uh, at home, you know, they're adaptable, you put a challenge in front of them and, and, and off they go. Nobody kind of teaches them, per se. It's more of a guided learning, maybe, than than a tell regime, really. So, them skills, for sure, that, that have been really important to keep with, in essence, because maybe initially I, I probably weren't aware, wasn't quite on that right alignment in that way, but since then it's it's probably uh, stayed that way. 
So obviously, yeah, you mentioned that kind of you started going down the performance route when you got an opportunity to work in, in that Wales group and then obviously you moved on to Gloucester and stuff. Is there anything that really surprised you when you started moving into the performance section? Anything you were like, oh, I wouldn't have imagined that or skills that you learned and you were like, actually, that's it, that would be invaluable for me to have known earlier on in my career? I think that um, that experience the Wales in the 16s was you know, just um, the real drive of the individuals and the players that were involved in the programme. That kind of surprised me, really. Um, I, I, I kind of probably didn't expect them to be as focused at, the, at such a young age, really, about, you know, they were quite clear, a lot of them, about what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do things. Um, how they wanted to, you know, push themselves forward as best they can be. Um, so they're quite um, quite ambitious, you know, really competitive in that in that sort of age as well. Um, which probably took me a bit by surprise because I always thought that I'd have to bring um, all the technical aspects of stuff, I suppose, and and you know the the tell side of things maybe a bit at that time because that's how it was probably going back some several years ago that, you know, it was more driven by the coach kind of thing. But actually, I learned pretty quickly that even back then, that the players themselves were quite adaptive and, and quite um, forward-thinking about their own stuff, really. Um, but, and if I'd have probably had that a little bit then, then maybe I'd have coached slightly different at that point, you know? And how did that affect you moving forward into your roles going forward when you'd seen that drive that those kind of top achieving players at those age groups have? I think it um, probably made me think a lot more about um, how much they're involved sort of within within the system, the programme, you know, and um, getting them to shape some elements of it. Um, for sure, you know, from, from, from training and things like that. Um, I think I've probably improved a lot more in, in the last, say, five or six years because I think there's more of an emphasis on, you know, allowing the players to be more involved and, and getting that sort of, you know, the buy-in from them and them being part of the process and co-creating things, of course, now. Um, it's a lot more prominent. Back then, probably not as much, but... It's it's sort of something that, for sure, you know, was there, and it was a matter of encouraging that a little bit more potentially, you know, at that point. And so, how how do you go about that now in terms of your ability to kind of have dialogue with players and set them on a way of almost guided discovery? Obviously, you mentioned that you're at Bath, and then you've come to Dragons and skills coach obviously I imagine a lot of your work will be around kind of individual development plans and trying to encourage your players to develop those skills how do you go into a scenario and help the players understand what you want them to improve on or help them put a framework in place to help them improve um, as I mentioned I think it's really important you Mike to sort of co-create that 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 program because ultimately it, it, you know the, the sort of clue is there really the individual development plan is is very much geared around the individual themselves it's not my plan it's their plan 
Um, so I think their involvement in it, it is, is huge, really. Um, all, all I'm trying to do more of anything is probably the guidance and the maneuverability with the other coaches, obviously, you know, about, you know, have you thought about this, you know, um, do you understand about this element of the game? Um, so we're, we're on a lot more of a guided sort of role nowadays than than we have been before, for sure. But I think that, one, it's it's about them being involved in it, us guiding and, and maybe highlighting and making aware, so heightened awareness, I suppose, of certain aspects of the game. Um, that they may be actually a lot of players tend to look at their negatives before their positives anyway, human humanistic nature, I suppose. But I think that the importance there is getting them to look at the, them to work on their, their strength element more so than, you know, um, than what they would perceive as the poor elements of them. So there's a, a sort of a 66-33% rule, if you like, that the 66% of the stuff is about the positivity and 33 of it being, you know, look, this is a little area to work on. Um, and only picking off a couple of them things that the player feels um, that they need to continue to strengthen and work on and then another area where they need to develop. And is that done in a formal context? Is that like written down and, and logged somewhere or is that in an informal context? I think that, um, it's, it's a, you know, again, a really good question because there's a lot of debate about whether it's formalised or informalised. For me, um, personally, I think the first initial one is a little bit of a, a formulation of, of the, the sort of co-creation of it. And that's with the other coaches as well. So it just it's not just by myself. So if, for example, there's a, uh, you know, forward, then that would be created with the forward coach. You know, obviously you have the, the head coach or the director of rugby, whichever one you look at it. Uh, yourself as the skills person, maybe to coordinate and support that that arm because I'm I'm looking after it on a kind of daily basis if you like where as obviously the forward coach has got a lot of, lot of other things to be done as soon as the head coach has got a lot, lot of their stuff to be done you know that role is to support the athlete then in that program and then you know from that I think that you can have a lot more informal conversations nowadays you know I think that's probably the best way you know um post that um there's obviously a time i think where you have to review at some point you know a couple of months down the line just to see where where things are just to make sure we or if we're on track it could be very much like no problem you're all good this is really improving all the stuff on your your personal development plan is going really well that's it that's as much as it needs to be um keep working on this and that and it's done you know and then you may add a you know i may add a note to that uh, documentation just to say really look I had an informal conversation this day everything is happy enough with everything where we go in still focusing on two of these these three things and you know for some um i think that works really well nowadays the, you know the informal and obviously the generations are different you know um completely different so we've got to be aware of that you know we've got a a sliding scale of players who are probably around about not quite my era, but obviously a lot, lot older. Uh, we're happy with that that format of a formalised one, probably more often than a 
one formalised and informal ones. So it's about knowing your athlete as well. I think that's really important and where they sit. Um, but I do think that it's important that, you know, obviously they're part and parcel of that process and that programme. So in, in terms of your like working week, do you just want to talk through kind of what your working week would normally look like? Um, and then kind of the number of players you, you would work with and, and all that type of stuff? So from a, from a skills perspective, the, the, probably the key is, you, you know, you've got the run on across the squad really about where they are from their individual development plans and everything else. So it's a, it's a big chunk of work. But then it's the, the importance is utilising the expertise you got within the coaching group. Um, so, for example, I'm not a scrummaging coach, you know, I was a backer. So, in their their sense, you know, you've got to utilise the coaches um, within the programme. So, if you've got a scrum coach and somebody needs to work on an area of scrum or if um, they're throwing, for example, as a hooker, for, you know, then they would be part and parcel involvement in that player's development plan. So, at the start of the week, it's very much about the player um, having a real focus about what they want to work on in that week as well. Um, so at the very start of the Mondays would be um, touching base with the players in an informal manner about you know what what they think their focus is going to be in that week because I think it's important to um, keep them on on track really because that's the guided bit is you know are we are, are we covering off what we said we would cover off or what you needed to work on. Um, and then just touching base with them on that first day on the Monday. Now, I know some do it formalised-wise, so some people may get them to send their stuff in, you know, what's what's the plan for the week for you on an IDP basis? You know, everybody's different, every player's different, of course. Um, but very much on that Monday would be a touch base. Where are we? And then on the sort of Monday, <clears throat> very much about how, how we would sort of look at that plan of the week, where would they fit it in? Are there opportunities within the section to get that IDP done? So for example, if you've got a scrum half who on a particular given day on a Thursday, for example, there's a lot of box kicking in the session itself, then do they realistically then need to go and do extras on box kicking that may be better spent on maybe passing distribution. So it's about having a feel as well as the as the week goes on about what the player also feeds back, you know, they could be stiff, so they can't do certain exercises like kicking, for example. Tends to be then um, unital sessions. We would tend to work a lot with individual players and individual groups, um, either within the forward session on a Tuesday or the back session. And then very much then put a plan program together at either the front end of the afternoon session on the Tuesday or the back end of the session. So very much... Um, if we think we need to um, be a bit more team biased on some skill work, you know, sort of connected connections, you know, something with the forwards and the backs together because they haven't had that opportunity to develop that aspect, which will help the team. And we look at that maybe at the front end of the session, whereas the back end of the session, it could well be more so based upon the individuals or individual group groups. So what do I mean by that is, if you've got um, the back three players who are high ball catching, catching the ball, then we may have 
scrum halves who may actually kick the ball in that part of the session. So one, the wingers can go after, put a bit of pressure on. Um, it builds a connection between scrum half and wing. They get a feel about who kicks maybe a bit more infield or outfield, um, who's left-footed, who's right-footed. So it's just that collective understanding. And then from that, we'd organise then sort of branch outs, basically, maybe some on defence, and that would be the defensive coach that will run that part of it. There could be somebody else then working on a different aspect of the game. And each player would float into their own. So I'd coordinate it up with the other coaches, and each player would then float into them sections to work on them particular skills that they feel that obviously tied in with the IDP they, they're working on or keeping the strengths up, for example, on a, on a Tuesday. Um, Thursday, we could depend upon, again, if there are some, some micro units, we may get some, some more work in there on the Thursday. Uh, but if it's just the one sort of main session, it'll sit at the back end of that again. So same thing, it can either be front-loaded or rear-loaded behind the session, depending on what we think is best, um, what the mood of the group is as well. Um, so, and then on the Friday, what would tend to happen is we would probably have the non-23 group, so the guys that don't make the squad. So we would look at upskilling them players then uh, at the back end of the week, rather than just normally what would happen is you come in for your weights and then you go home because obviously there's, there's no game potentially for them. And again, the same thing may happen on prior to a game on a Saturday. So they may come in to do some, because some players will go out and play for a development programme, for example, because that's the management of that. So some will go and play at Welsh Premiership, some not. And then it's the management them and them guys on the Saturday, so you could do an additional uh, prehab session or possibly even then uh, look at uh, another skill up, upskilling session before then they probably more often than not go to watch the game if it's at home. Uh, in Newport, you know. And obviously, using kind of your example there, you've mentioned about scrum halves doing box kicks and what's, whatnot. Um, who designs those sessions? Is that you from your experiences of things that will work or is that the players going, ah, oh, so-and-so come across and help me with this and sorting out the session themselves? How does that look? I think it's, um, I'm a big believer in, first of all, you know, show them what we're after kind of thing. You know, I think that's important that they have an understanding of, you know, what they're trying to work on. A lot of the experienced players, yeah, of course, but maybe some of the younger guys, if it's younger players, we may need to guide them a little bit more on what it looks like initially. Um, and from that then, obviously, you know, through experience, they'll obviously understand what they need to do and things. So I think that's important, that, that element of, you know, helping with that knowledge base to begin with potentially for some of the younger guys in relation to some of the, the more experienced guys um, they tend to know you know what what they're sort of after and what they're looking for themselves and that's very much a so of you you probably observe a lot more in them sessions you know you'd watch and then they would pretty much more or less they would create sort of, oh, this works for me kind of situation. Um, and I feel this works for me. So they would have that experience that they would draw on and they would pretty much create their own session in, in effect of what it looks like. 
um, with a couple of adjustments. Um, and then that becomes then a very much for me and, um, and the other coaches, of course, as an observatory role. It's not so much of a coaching role. They may also ask um, a question, um, you know, for example, one of the, the nines does a box kick. He's probably a better box kicker than I am. He knows this. He knows the situation. He knows the field by now because of his experience. Um, and then they may ask on one occasion about, "Oh, what did you see there?" Well, you there you may say, "Well, this is what I saw." What do you think? So it then very much relied on them having their own feel for it. Uh, in particular, understanding that the the session that they've created for themselves really based upon experience. But again, it's. It's if you if they got younger players, then the good thing is about showing them that the senior players can show them as well at the same time. So it's a lot more co-coaching as well at the same time because if the younger guys are in with more experienced players, then we'll allow the more experienced players to support the younger players because I think that's really important. And and again, we're just sort of guiding observing and supporting the players now much more than what we've or I've done before where it used to be oh well you know your, your left foot isn't there or your right foot isn't here for example you know so it's about the feel that they get the feel themselves really about what's going on with what they're doing and how much of the support that when you do give it how much of it is technical detail how much detail would you go in with them I, we keep going back to the box kick example but how much would you say to them oh you know you you drop slightly off which is affecting where you kick or your balance is in this position or your foot's wrong here or how much of it is suggesting for them to then try and figure it out how much technical detail do you go into with those guys i think that um for again Maybe for younger players, you may go a bit more technical than you would for more experience because they they got a feel. But at the same time, for me, it's even with the younger guys, you want to for them to try to to get to that point where they feel, oh, that you know, I've lent back there, or you know, I'm not over the ball, for example, on the example that we've got there. Um, but I would say that it's very much one thing because there's a big part about reinvestment and stuff like that really which is you know we've all done it where we say oh think about this think about that and and what tends to happen the other two things that you were doing well before that they start to go all over the place you know because your mind is focused because you directed to a point um specifically so what tends to happen on the first few throws is you know you you're going to be the player and the athlete is focused on that on that section of of what you've told them so the reinvestment part is all about is the more information that, you know obviously you provide into the mind then they start thinking they start to overthink things uh, and, and that's where you've got to be you know really careful for me anyway is it, it should be them getting the feel getting the flow themselves as best you can do with maybe one pointer if you need to with some players and others will be very much about you know hopefully that they don't feel it's going well and then they'll turn to you which is the ideal thing if they if they feel they need to and say you know look this is not quite going well is it but now what's happening with this or what's happening with that well have you thought of this so it's more questions more 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 pointing them to the direction because you're observing a lot more, isn't it? But it's observing and giving feedback in the moment 
rather than as well which rather than kind of look you can obviously show by video later and stuff obviously but in an ideal world it'd be feel and show in the moment really for me that reminds me of a video i saw i don't know if you've seen it there's a guy called charles barkley who's a basketball player or former basketball player out in america and he's playing golf and you've obviously had where a coach has said to him you need to think about your backswing going here and your wrist here and he's got the most disjointed swing you've ever seen because he's almost doing like a checklist of going i've got to do this 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 and then hit and there's it's almost like a conscious thing the entire time rather than it being like a, a natural flow and thinking at him thinking about one thing one area of the swing it's quite interesting you're saying there in terms of you have to guide them but let them try and sort through the process themselves rather than give them strict points because otherwise your brain doesn't really process it properly yeah I, yeah I, I i just thought back you know as i was doing it was i just thought back about myself you know when somebody used to tell you about you know even when i was playing it was like oh you need to do this or do that and i was like right i gotta do it that way and and then all of a sudden the process wasn't fluid because i was thinking so much about one aspect of it and then everything else became clunky, as you say, you know, so that's, you know, in an ideal world, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's that one little, one little snippet and then sit off and then try not to jump around as well for me about, you know, uh, you know, three kicks down the line, start to think about something else, you know, look, you know, what, what, what are we really after out of this? Well, okay. If all of a sudden it's it's about one aspect, we're leaning back, for example, on the kick, or uh, if I'm not finishing my hands on a pass, then just focus. Look, you just just finish your hand, just sit, and and then not worry about it. You know, are they are they square? Are they you know, are they, are the hips not beyond forty five? For example, did they do an early catch? You start thinking about all that stuff. All of a sudden, oh, early catch. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about running straight and square. I'm thinking about finishing. My, there's loads of stuff now going on with the player. And then in the game, of course, is you you don't have the time to do that. You really this you know there's a defender on you, or so it's it's got to be automated basically. So, you know you get to feel yourself. So how much work do you do between like isolated practices to then like chaos practices where you are testing those skills that you're working on in like a live environment? Again, I think there's. Um, there's a lot going on at the moment about uh, you know game based and you know the static stuff per se or you know the technical side of things and you, you know I think there's a time and place for it all I think it, it, you should use it as like continuum what's right again for the individual and the player um, I think that the the chaos aspect or the uh, the more difficult building the skill which which ultimately that's what it is isn't it the skill is you know technique under pressure that's ultimately it. So we've got to we've got to go there. We've got to go here. Um, but at the same time, I also think you know you you can utilize if if somebody's consistently dropping their hand, for example, then not necessarily in the session would you take them out of the session. But at any point, I think you need to to just check and understand did they do they know make a self awareness do they have the feel of that their hands are dropping, for example, in the pass. Um, they may not be even aware of it. And it may be just raising an awareness is the, is the first instance. All right, okay, and then see what happens again, you know. So I think that that little bit of 
you know, sort of going from a technical side of things in into then the more chaotic side of things. Um, you, you've got to pick off your players and slide up and down the bar. Um, you obviously get there's a lot more that goes on within the game, sort of buyer stuff. You know, obviously, is there's there's lots more to think about. It, it's more realistic to the game because there are things that you have to um, think about. And then you've got, you know, the sort of staticky kind of stuff where maybe maybe at the end of the week that somebody wants to build some confidence, for example, you know, the you know, and their their confidence builder may be you know, six passes off the left-hand side because they feel like maybe it hasn't been great in the week and all of a sudden they go out and they feel brilliant. But that's more of a psychological build-up maybe potentially for that individual. But again, it goes back to the individual because, you know, it's a feel-good factor for them potentially, you know, that way. I guess kind of moving on to the psychological side a little bit, how much of an effect does that have on on the skills-based stuff? So... I guess use an example. Say, for example, you have a a fifteen who's not great under the high ball, and then because of that, every week the opposing team are testing them out with high balls and stuff. I appreciate earlier on you said you, you're going to try and focus on that sixty six percent and then thirty three percent on it on his weaknesses, but I assume that's probably an area he's going to want to develop because he doesn't doesn't want to keep getting found out like that. How much of a psychological factor do you think it is um like the performance at the end of the week so doing all of this work all the idp stuff to then get or see an outcome kind of come a game day yeah of course the ultimate test is in in, in the game to see how that development program is, is working work worked working um and, and i think it's it's a big buzz, I think. You, and then you've got to, like for me, is a lot of it is reinforcing the positivity and stuff. So, for example, an individual who's um, catching a high ball, um, it would be showing them all the good ones, really. Um, so it's there, you know, to reinforce the good stuff rather than reinforce the negative stuff, for sure. Now, there might be a small aspect of um, that they do need to improve on within that, but hopefully that it's not put as well. You know, you you're not very good at this here, um, and you know, and and then, and then it becomes an even like from my experience, it becomes an even bigger problem. You're inflating the tires almost of of the issue, so you have to be very careful from from a psychological point of view. Is is sort of looking at at some of the good stuff and giving lots of good reinforcement of when they do it well and that's not just on the Saturday that could be through the weekend training and that's the beauty where I sit as a skills coach where you would be you know you know that individual is working on a high ball even in training and if they've gone up and they caught that ball it's like I can get straight into it that's that that's that sort of instant stuff where you go John awesome stuff man great take in the air uh, you know, so that whenever they get, whenever we as coaches get the opportunity to to reinforce the stuff, that's much more powerful than you know hitting on the negative. Oh, he's dropped another one. You know, or oh god, you know. So I'm bringing that and and sort of highlighting it to an extent where it's just it becomes even massive, and then they lose the self confidence themselves. Really, that's 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 what I believe. Anyways, the reinforcement of the 
or the good stuff. Um, and then them also looking at different things of catching, you know, other people catching high balls. What do they see? You know, get, you know, what things that they do that they could add maybe to their physical uh, nature and stuff. So you get them to learn and feedback. So you may ask a player, you know, to have a look at, you know, who deems the, the, the sort of three best catchers in world rugby is or two best catchers in world rugby. Go and have a look, see what you see, come back. So it's like a little project really for them as well. So you, you're, it's not always coming from me. It's, it's them going and researching and looking at stuff that they think they can add to their game so that they are proactive in their own development again, you know. So I think that that aspect is quite important really about, yeah, there is a an element that is, they've got to work on the positive stuff. But if there is that element where they're not great, like catching the high ball, um, but then it's important how we support that individual as well so that it doesn't, like I said, inf in, inflate the sort of tire really to an extent where there's complete loss of confidence in anything really. So, I guess it's a bit of a question for you. It's a hard one to answer. Do you think it's important for your role as a skills coach that you're positive in general? Yeah, I think I think that, you know the the thing of a skills coach is you can be positive. You can bring loads of energy. Look, I'm not you know that you're not governed by to an extent the results on the weekend. You're really about the individual, um, and I really believe in. I'm passionate about it really, as if you know if they know you care and if you highlighted something they will know it's for for them because they they know the player will know you're trying to get them better ultimately if if it's you know supporting them trying to help them get to the next level or you know sort of just improving their aspect of skill but the positivity part is important but at the same time you know you have to be able to have that conversation with somebody to say look this part of the game, what do you think? Um, hopefully for them to raise their own self-awareness, for them to get better with it, but ultimately, um, good connection with that person as well, but it's easier then to obviously sort of um, get them to see that you're doing it in their best interest, basically, if you have to be, you know, not the negative side of it, but I would say, you know, you're trying to help them get better, that's, that's ultimately what you're trying to do, that's your job. Yeah, I just I, listening to what you're saying there. I could imagine if if you've got someone whose characteristics may be more negative in terms of they focus on those things, it could be quite damaging to an individual if they are struggling, and then you're constantly picking out the negatives rather than being positive. So I guess it was observation that in your role at the moment, it seems like the positive positivity side with the players are real important to allowing them feel comfortable enough to be exposed to then develop on an area they're maybe not as great in or, or as you said trying to develop yeah I, I definitely believe that because they, they're going to have you know obviously there's got to be a good link between you and the player you've got to be connected with them you, you know you've got to ultimately that you know if you think somebody really cares about you then then ultimately you you know they, they, they've got your best interest at heart and then if you have to say something, it's not meant, you know, in a way which is, you know, put you down or anything. It's meant to be that it's just trying to help you out. You gotta have that close link with that. But the, again, I go back to it. It's 
So you have to be able to have them conversations if you need to, but at the same time, you know, you're building, you're building that individual up. I want them to be the very best they can be on, on the weekend if they're selected to play is to be the best they can be in, in that moment um, and to continue to do that. But, you know, it's hum- as I said, it's, it's human nature. You know, I've had the amount of times I'll have a player come to me and I'll ask them about, you know, sort of a review of a game the first thing they'll say is, I didn't do this well. I, I was rubbish at that. And you're like, whoa, just stop for a second. What went well? You know, what's gone good for you? Oh, uh, well, it's almost like there's a pause delay. Now, there are some then, of course, you know, obviously characters then, which are the other way inclined, you know, the sort of, well, I was brilliant at this. I was read all of that. And, um, you know, I don't see I know anything wrong. Okay, well, that's now, you know, the importance is that you've got that connection, you've got that ability with that player that they, that you can raise that awareness. And, they, and it's not necessarily always, in, it's not necessarily in front of people, but that's more probably more that individualistic one where you're able to connect with them and say, I know you say this, but, what you know, really, what, what do we think? Have a look at, you know, and it's not necessarily maybe me bringing the awareness. I mean, how I work it as well is, is peer group. Um, you know, talking to each other because I think that's important. So it's not necessarily always coming from me, because we all know that probably now the the, the best links, the best connections are peer to peer. The most effect that you'll get is peer to peer group, and that may be, you know, set of set of you just got to be smarter with how we do things or how I do things, which would be, okay, um, Mike, can you go and have a look with Barry to have a look at um, his passing from the base? We'll see what you come up with. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, that player player relationship. And then they start to talk, you know, in the same position. And then, oh, oh, I saw you do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start to build up a bridge in a formulation. But, and then I'll ask them just the feedback and say, okay, so Mike, Barry, you, you went away to have a look at this aspect of the game. Um, what did you find? What did you see? Show me a clip. So putting more of an emphasis on that player to develop themselves as well again. So it's not, um, you know, reliant on the coach consistently or how it was years ago. You know, the coaches say, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right. They, they've got to sort of figure it out for themselves, isn't it? Same as we all have to in life. You, you, you go through it and you, you, you get advice, you get guidance. Of course, you, you know, you do things then and you think, oh, well, I won't do that way again. I'll do it this way. You know, so it's self-learning, really. And how important are the senior players in that about them showing real leadership in terms of being able to take a group or small group or an individual way and work on specific specific aspects of the game? How important that you've got a good core of senior players that do that in the right way and show the right values? I think it's vital, isn't it? You know, um, because if you know the younger guys coming through, if they see good behaviours, how people hold themselves and and sort of, you know, sort of stay after training, for example, do some of that extra additional work that they, they are looking at as players. Um, you know, as a younger player, you get naturally drawn into that. You know, if there's good habits with senior players, then obviously it, it kind of rubs, oh, well, this is the way we kind of do things around here. So, you know, that yeah, we'll, we will go and do this thing. You know, same in a negative way. If, you know, if, if things, people, everybody just walked off the pitch, then even if I'm a young lad coming through the system, it's, well, 
all right, okay, the session's finished, we all walk off the pitch. So, you know, the, the behaviours of that senior group is so important. And also, the uh, um, willingness, actually, I've seen actually younger players talk to more what would be added as senior or leadership group players in the same position and actually show them something that they never even thought about. Oh, that's super powerful for me, um, where you go, wow, this younger lad is actually showing this guy who's 28, 29, he's been around the scene for a long time, and he's explaining something to him. I'm like, poof, you're brilliant. Um, and the tendency would be with that, that leadership group is if we can get them to guide and encourage them younger lads within the group as well, it's, it's only going to grow you know, the self-belief, the confidence, the, the sort of guidance on pitch, for example, the willingness to speak up on the pitch, um, because you kind of, like, it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be like this anymore, but it used to be, you know, if you've been in eight, nine years and you're a senior pro, the, the guys who come in for two years and say anything. Because you had the senior guys who would say stuff and then everybody else would just nod their head. But you want to grow that environment and that, that sort of group, really, that the younger guys have a voice. So it's a two-way thing for the senior guys. And then that they are leading by example, behaviours are good, willing to listen just as much as, as talk and say as well to the younger guys or the, or the new guys coming in. I think that's important. And then I guess the, the challenge for that or that environment is if you have someone who maybe is disengaged from the group or disengaged from the task at hand, I guess a big one for you is if they're not engaging in their IDPs, how do you go about kind of challenging that behaviour? Because I, I guess that it doesn't matter if you're in kind of a youth setting or a senior level, you want everyone to be working towards a target. And if you've got someone who isn't engaging properly in the process, they're not going to improve and it's going to have a negative effect on the, the rest of the group as well. Yeah, I think I think that's what comes from the start. I think it's it's probably that you've got to set it that it's theirs, um, their own plan. So you you kind of get that buy in as best you can do initially off 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 the straight straight off the bat kind of thing. Um, you will have people who um, who say all the right things potentially. Say I'm going to do this. I've written it all down. I'm, yeah, this is where I'm going. Um, and then yeah, yeah. Again, it's because you got that relationship. You should be able to, not necessarily just as me as a coach. You should be able to challenge and say, well, look, you know, you've come up with this plan. How often have you worked on it? Does that move forward? No, uh, it doesn't. So there's then the challenge where you can get some of the more experienced players potentially to put that a little bit more of a lean on as well or the encouragement to say you know making people aware of what they're trying to work on so for example if you've got a player who's working on a defensive aspect of his game and you know there are three or four others within that group or senior group who are working on defensive aspects then you could touch base with them potentially then get them to talk to him and say, hey, listen, well, you know, we're doing this defensive bit uh, today. Come and join us. I know you're working on this defensive bit. So it's the encouragement of, hopefully, 
their peer group again. Pressure is from, you know, best can be through the peer group. Um, but ultimately as well is, look, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got an individual who you, you've got to try to raise awareness, in my opinion, show if they don't know as well, because they, you know, it's all good and well saying, right, I want you to work on X. Do they actually know what X looks like? So that's what I'll say about the, you know, you may have to show in some instances, maybe a younger player, maybe an older player, show good examples, maybe of another player doing stuff, etc. This is what we're, we're discussing. Does that make sense? You know, is, do you see it that way? Do you not see it that way? So you, you're constantly touching base with them. But then ultimately as well is, look, it's about them getting better. And if, if they don't want to get better, then ultimately, you know, you can only do so much to try to support and, and encourage around that individual to, to sort of get better. And, uh, you know, if they make the choice of not trying to get better and not, and not bother, well, you know, ultimately what, you know, inevitably what will happen at time is, you know, they, they'll be, they'll be moved out of the, of the group more than likely, you know? So that's the stark reality of the game, isn't it? You know, if there's a young whippersnapper who's, chomping at the bit to come past and beyond, then all of a sudden that individual they'd be moved out of the of the group. That's, you know, hopefully you don't want it to be at that stage, isn't it? Because hopefully you've done all them little bits in between that. Ultimately I think as well though nowadays that you know if you're a professional player, you you know you have to continue to work in your trade. It's like any other job in the world, isn't it? You know, if you if you've if you're not learning, getting better, trying to be better at what you do, then ultimately, you know, somebody else is going to overtake at some point. Yeah, and that's, that's reality of life in, in general across the board, I think. And in terms of your framing of sessions, so you've mentioned quite a lot of the use of video analysis and stuff. Would you frame a day's work using videos of what your plans for the days are or the good examples or bad examples of the stuff that they've done and um, kind of how do you frame the work that that they're going to be working on the stuff like you've said there so they've got a good representation of what it actually looks like or what the end goal looks like yeah so i think that there are times where you know for me i'm, I'm very much informalized there on a daily basis so when we went back to initially there's a maybe a formalized something so informal would be things where I touch base with them in session, live. So if I've seen something um, that I know that they're working on to reinforce the stuff. Um, at the same time, it may be to highlight an aspect of um, post-game or training where you know we've gone into a video session, um, asking them, showing them, for example, good examples, um, asking them to check out, you know, if there wasn't such a great example, I wouldn't say that. I would just ask them to compare the differences between, you know, catch one and three to catch number four and five and ask them to work it out. You know, I've got an idea in my own mind. That the, the thing is, we don't, the thing is in within that is, um, just to add to a point on it really is, whenever you ask a player really about, you know, you know, because why did they drop the ball? I remember a great uh, example really when I was at Bath, um, I put some glasses on a particular player. We talked about catching the high ball, and um, on the film because we had the the different angles, so we had the one which is the camera right on the on on screen basically where his eyes were, 
and he and he just about caught the ball by his ankles and I thought cheapers I was not great for an international fullback kind of thing but we, I reviewed the tape afterwards and um, there's a blazing sun basically in his eyes so like at the same time you can ask a player what were you thinking here for example and he'll come up with something completely different of what you know what what I'm seeing to compare what was actually being felt with them at the time or they were doing at that moment in time. So, you know, to to sort of develop them areas for them, so you just got to have that understanding of what they're seeing, what they're doing within the sessions as well, you know, from a, from a sort of use of video, non-video, on-pitch, instant feedback as well. Um, so there's an array of different skills and stuff that, that happens for that individual. But then for the individuals, there'll be probably um, very much informalized stuff every day because you can have a formalized meeting every day, but it's very informal. Well, you know, how's it going today? What are the things you, you remember from training? Go find me two clips of that example. Brilliant. Well done. Off you go. Um, so it, it's just framing stuff, framing sessions around that stuff, really, um, as best you can from what we do on field and off the field, you know, sort of looking at other players, other teams, whatever, have a little look at a challenge to see, um, you know, maybe even different sports sometimes, you know, how do they jump, for example, like a high jump, how does he jump, or, you know, what is it, what's, what's different there to a, a rugby jump guy, you know, so looking at all different aspects of how they could implement something for maybe a different sport as well, you know, to help them. I guess that must be one of the more enjoyable bits for you as a coach is that because you're doing skills and you're a little bit removed from performance, like you said earlier on, um, and you're not there for specifically working on the scrum or specifically looking at back line, you can go and look at these vast array of different sports and see how they do it. So you can hopefully bring that into your context. I imagine that must be quite a good way to go and like test your learning and test your thinking and all that type of stuff. I think I, I genuinely believe the skills coaching role is the best role in the club. I genuinely believe that because one, you gain um, such you know, amazing connections with the players initially as well to start with. You, uh, you're not geared and biased on to the results per se. You know, you obviously want the team and the squad to do well. Of course, you do. Um, and then you're very much focused on on the individual uh, and with a, with pure outline of of just getting them better. Um, so that side of it is great. And then you are able to, uh, you know digress into different avenues of sport or different, um, not necessarily just sport, but different psychological stuff and look at that and how does that affect the player? How would you speak to a player? How do you frame the questions? So it's it's not just on the pitch. It's about also from a skills perspective is the off the field stuff, you know, how they conduct themselves. What are they like when they get up in the meeting? How do they get their message across? Um, are they witty? Are they funny? Um, could they be witty or funny? You know, could they start with uh, an open question rather than a closed question? So the skills aspect now has probably gone, you know, for me, I think it's 
because you're looking at the individual all of the time, is helping them become better on and off the field. So maybe that's something I should have mentioned, you know, at the start, really. But I definitely think that uh, that's probably as a plus as as you could be really about other sports, other things that they do off the field as well as on the field as well, you know. And is there any particular setting where you've learnt something that you, has really resonated with you that you've been able to take back and use? Yeah, there's been there's been um, lots of stuff. You know, I, I you know I've sort of I I think that there's say seventy percent of the time if you go to a webinar, if you go to a conference, if you look at a different sport, you probably think, yeah, that's maybe confirmation you know yeah we, we do something similar you know pretty much on the line i think then you know the rest of it then is built up from things you think yeah i don't think that would work in this environment potentially there are things then which are you go wow that's a real gem that's you know that little 10 percent bit in there of, of anything that you've been on and then as others you think no chance you know so things that have resonated probably in the last um, couple of months has been about uh, learning styles and the different difference in, in all individuals really and the generation gaps and stuff like that you know it's it's we had generation you know we had the millenniums before now we got gen z you, you know this it's learning about them things and how do you get interconnected with them people and players because ultimately we're, we're talking about people really um that's ultimately what it is connections in that sense um and sort of you know the, the sort of different learning styles so that's important what type of things will you take back to dragons in terms of looking at those generation groups i think the main challenge that i've say picked out of that one would have been um the way you run meetings and stuff and how so obviously in, in the past we'd have had players get up and, and they would deliver on parts. So we do a lot of the stuff, you know, um, present back on the team sort of what we'd run uh, from an attack point of view. So we'd look at all of that stuff anyway. So we'd be up on that. But then it was just maybe the the sort of go away element as well and not necessarily have the answer in that maybe initial meeting, which was quite surprising, which was giving people time to reflect, time to to go away and, and come back and say, yeah, and not be frightened of if we don't reach the answer in that meeting uh, on a particular aspect. So we may get three or four different things that we've, we've nailed off or two or three things that we've nailed off. And then we think, oh, this one is oh, it's going on. It's still not quite right. It, but we don't maybe you know maybe it's time for a bit of reflection on it and come back and, and hit that one in the following day for example um so i think you know like maybe if you've got an aspect where you know you you think well we actually move this forward to tomorrow it's not a major necessity then we don't need the answer no then and then fine um things like small little micro challenges within within sort of the, the meeting, you know, sort of get them going straight away, um, pose question at the start of the meeting. So, you know, you could, as they walk in, you, you can have a question on the board, which already starts to, to prime them about what's coming in the meetings, them type of things, really. Um, 
No, definitely the clarity on the one thing we we touched base on that earlier on. But you know, they they were the things really which um, stuck in my mind around the meetings of late. You know, and, and sort of learning styles really because they're all different within that. Um, so how do we try to touch base with all the different different types of individuals within there as best you can? You know. And then what about in terms of other sports? Is there anything that's challenged what you did or what rugby does that you thought actually this could be really useful? Okay, I think what we got, you know, it's just, there's nothing been massive that stood out. I probably had more of um, stuff from a sort of... Um, you know, Kirk Vallis, for example, in, in Google, he was great about priming people, really. So that is it's not nothing to do with sport, but that's more about um, allowing people the thinking time away from the environment as well, you know, because they're big on it in, in Google. Allowing people, you know, where, when do you, you know, the thing that came from there for me was where do people think most about stuff? Where do they come up with the ideas? And, and they work on the principle really of it. It's not necessarily at the desk or in the office place, um, which was quite interesting. Um, and he talked about uh, prompting or priming away from the environment, which was quite interesting. So you know, coming from a business aspect, really into, into that sport, which was you know when the players away from the ground or the environment when they walk you know you pose a question and you know when they walk in the dog um when they go for a you know you know on the way in the car somewhere or something all of a sudden their mind starts to wander and you start to think about some stuff and it's a lot more relaxed and that was fascinating for me really from from a business sense really coming that i think that could really be utilized for players um, and that could be even something where you pose the question the night before, leave it hanging, it doesn't need to reply there and then or after the training day, and just allow that, that thinking time, that critical thinking time for them for them players as well. So I think that was something I had from a, a non-sporting thing, which has really resonated with me in the last uh, couple of weeks. To be fair. I guess that would be good, particularly good in your role, with um, if you're asking players to go away and think about how to improve in an area or something like that, it would allow them to be really creative with the solutions to maybe a problem they're having or how to increase to an even bigger super strength for allowing them that time to go and reflect and do that. Yeah, yeah I think I think, I think you're 100%, Mike, what, what you just said is... You know that creativeness and that thinking time allows them, and it could be even set in something like, "Well, okay, um, we would like to work on this aspect of your game. If you had to come up with a practice or a, an exercise tomorrow or by the end of the week, how would that look?" And then almost you you allow it to fester and grow, and they come back with, "Oh, I thought of this, I thought of that," but. It, and then again, you get that instant buy-in, and, and that's where that connection is again. You know where you think, well, great. You know, and, and players, in fairness, more often than not, they know the answers. Um, yeah. More often than not, you just got to drill down a little bit more to to draw it out to them. But the answers are more often than not there with people. You know, and you know that again. I think that would tie in nicely um, 
you know, for sure about that creativity and coming up with maybe a practice or an exercise or having a look at something completely different. You know, if you, if for example, you could only kick with your left foot for the next six months, what would it look like? Bang, go. You know, so it's made me think, oh, I frame the question differently as well. Like I've just done there, you know, it's not something I've thought about there. That just instantly came into my head. Um, because he spoke about, you know, how do we beat this team 100 now? And then everybody went, oh, uh, but then all of a sudden things started to, to materialize. Well, we'd have to do this. We'd have to do that. Okay. We'd, now a load of them come up and some of them, there's no way in the world we'd ever be able to do it. Well, somebody may come up with the idea of, well, there's no chance we beat team 100 now. But that really resonated in me about how you word the question and about how we can get the group being creative within, because there's plenty of knowledge, there's plenty of experience there, uh, and plenty of imagination for sure um, that you could that you could draw from. It's a little nugget for sure that I'll try and take away and challenging the kids that I work with and how you frame stuff and allow them to be creative with answers and stuff, particularly with kids because they they're great at being creative. That's one of their one of, one of their assets for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. So I, I guess a question for me to, to you in terms of when I, when I look at rugby all around the world, I, you see different styles almost. You see different philosophies and styles of play. Within your role, do you see differences in the way that skills coaches work with their players? So would it be different from the way that you work in the UK to the way someone in France would do it to the way someone in South Africa do it to the way to Australia and New Zealand does that change or is there fairly consistent threads o- over the, the world of rugby I, th- I think um, some may have a different philosophies you know of, of skill development some would be very much game biased and, and that, that that's it you know some would be maybe um, you know try to teach in a, a sort of that sort of isolated or drill base or something like that you know some so there's a you know a mixture that goes on I'm, I'm sure of that um there'd be lots of people slide like like I, my belief is you know my my philosophy on it is you slide in and out depending on the individual depending on the group depending where you're trying to get out of the session and the design of it for sure um you know you you move in and out of of things um i think on the whole, I, I think that they're probably the sort of, you know, the extreme philosophies, really. So you'll have somebody that, that's one end game bias, one end which is more drill bias. Somebody that'll slide up and down. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're probably the way. But again, I, I, I just believe I'm not, there's not the one way, you know, to, to develop a player. There's, there's lots of ways. Um, to develop a player and for this particular individual it may be a bit more sort of um, game biased or, or whatever you, you know or sort of not so much fully into the game but potentially into uh, there's some opposition there you know that there's that there is something they have to register and make a decision on some but stimulus it's not to the full intent yeah it's, just, it's not to the full intensity of the game for example you may have to pull them back slightly to move them to go forward again you know so 
Uh, and that, that's what I mean by when I talk about game bias, I don't fully mean that it's all full bells and whistles of a you know fifteen on fifteen or, or an eight on eight, and, and you're off into them games. But you may have to retract a little bit where there is some stimuli going on, and they have to make decisions because you know you just have to know when to stretch a person and when not to, and then that's that, that that's that fine balance again of building the belief and the confidence and bringing them back off you go you have a road bump in there somewhere and then you bring them back a little bit you know so you you have to be able to go in and out of them things really but i i do think that on a whole you know having spoken to quite a few um skill biased people i think a lot of people have a lot more though one trait which i'm i'm, I'm getting a consistent theme um is that implicit learning is the key, you know is is a really important aspect of it you know that the it's about players working things for themselves experiencing for themselves having that feel for themselves i think that's consistent across a lot of the people i've spoken to you know that and, and i believe in it myself as well you know that it is important that that you know they learn as the athlete really and do you think that that's something that's always been there or do you think that that's something that's becoming more and more prevalent with the newer generations? I was de- definitely, like I said at the start, you know, when I first started out, when I played, it was all tell. My coach would tell me everything. You do this, you stand there, you go there, you do this. Um, in the coaching sense then, you know, I think you, because that's the way that probably generations ago, you know, that that's how you were taught. So you tend to kind of do the same sort of style for a while. And then you think, oh, you start to think, oh, well, hang on. It doesn't quite flavor that way. And then I definitely think that uh, there's been a shift. Well, I can remember starting when, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with um, Rich Shuttleworth at the time, who was at the RFU um, in 20, 2012, 2013. And that's when that really changed my mind completely about that sort of sort of directive work, you know, the sort of, you know, you have to be drill biased, you know, um, pretty much unopposed stuff, drill things all the time. Um, and then from there, that's where I, th- I think definitely the last sort of seven, eight, maybe a bit longer than that, just a bit longer than that, that that has definitely changed to that sort of implicit kind of learning stuff and then players being a lot more co-sort of creating the stuff with with coaches and things like that. Um, And then problem solving, because the reality is um, the more they can problem solve, uh, when you get to the pitch on a Saturday, when you're sitting up in the stand, you can't do anything as the coach to an extent. You're there to, again, guide and, and maybe observe and hopefully what you want is you want to get to a stage really where your players are are actually able to see things and change things in the moment. But ultimately, that's what it needs to get to. Um, so I definitely think that that's, that's how it's become that way because that's what the game is. It's a chaotic game and you can't control everything definitely from a rugby perspective um for sure okay as as we come full circle i'm going to leave you with one last question and uh, let you get on with the rest of your day and it's something i've asked everyone 
um, and you can give an answer to both, which is who's the best um, player you've either played with or against or worked with or against and why? And then who's the best coach that you've worked with or against and why? Oh, wow. Ah, uh, love that. <laughs> it's a tough question. Oh, my. Both of them. Super tough. Some people name a few, so if you're struggling to narrow it down, feel free to uh, name a few and, and, and say why. Well, um, so players first, yeah? Players first it was. Right. Um, I think probably, you know, because obviously, you know, there's quite a few players really back in the day, but, you know, sort of... Um, Neil Jenkins would have been one for sure, you know. Um, Arwell Thomas, who played in Wales at the time, and Neil Jenkins obviously, you know, became British Lion and everything else. Um, there were so, I, I just, there were two contrasting people really as, as back in them days, which were Arwell had all the flair and, and the flamboyancy of, of a natural Wales 10. Neil was probably more methodical, but his skill sets were unbelievable, you know, as a player. Um, and, and you kind of go for back. You, you know, you don't really have an appreciation of how good somebody is sometimes until you play against them. And you really get that feel of, wow, I'm miles behind <laughs> these two guys. They're like your head. So, yeah, they, they'd probably be players, you know, and like again, you know, players against, as in, you know, overseas would have been somebody like uh, Stefan Glass, who played centre for France, just just, just on a different level at that time, you know. So a lot of your, probably people that are listening are probably going, who are these people? I don't know. <laughs> who, who am I referring to? They'll have to look back in the black and white photographs of cine films or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, but they they were the sort of players, really, you know, that you think flip back these these good. Um, coaches, look, um, wow. I have been fortunate enough to, like, I, I couldn't name one, I definitely, because I have been so fortunate enough to um, work with so many good coaches. Um you know, I would find it extremely difficult to pick even five or six because I would feel my phone would probably be red hot with, I didn't hear you mention my name <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when it, when it comes. But, I, you know, look, what I would say is this. Um, I had good people at Hartbury College where I was. I had a great uh, sort of... Um, I will mention one guy probably who, who sort of influenced who technically was very good way back when I first started and stuff. There was a couple of them, but uh, you know, just because he was like my first probably real mentor with that stuff was like uh, John Schroffer, who was, who was based in Swansea. Technically, he'd coached at Wales level with Kevin Bowen at the time and things, but he was um, very, very good technically. A good person as a young, young coach to learn from initially. And then, you know, as I say, when I went to Harbury, I was fortunate enough to work with some really good people there um, England. Bath was, Bath was very good. Um, you know, two sets of coaching groups I worked with there. You know, I can, you know, name them all 
you know, it's obviously um, Mike Ford was there. Neil Hackley was obviously been the forwards coach with uh, England. Uh, Darren Edwards, um, you know, done a lot of stuff with um, Quinns. You know, obviously been London Irish um, there. Toby Booth obviously would been um, London Irish. The number of years at Bath. Um, so you know them guys, and then obviously when the changeover happened, then. You know, Todd Blackadder was amazing to work with and Antabe Matson that you just um a really good cohesive group who um understood each other probably. And I uh, that mutual respect, tough but mutual respect as in as well willing to listen to people's thoughts but at the same time would also challenge what you think in. So you just you know, that was that was a brilliant experience for me there at Bath, you know, for for sure. Perfect. Well, listen, Barry, I, I won't push you to answer one because I know when you're getting stick from all your friends. But uh, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you giving up your uh, Thursday afternoon and, and stay safe. And hopefully I can speak to you again soon. Uh, good. Thanks for your time, Mike. And I really appreciate uh, the call. I appreciate it. Yes. Great. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.